Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, and welcome back to To The Point Cybersecurity. I am one of your hosts, Erica Pierce, and joined, of course, by Eric Trexler. How are you doing this week, Eric? I'm doing well, Erica. Excited to talk to Richard. Yes, so we have an industry analyst uh, as our guest today, Richard Stinnon. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? Hi, Erica. I'm doing great. Well, you know, before we do every show, we do a little bit of, of uh, prep with our guest. And I think, wow, we covered a lot just in our prep. So I know we have a lot to get to today in terms of all the things that we wanted to talk to you about. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, 15 minutes will not be enough for this one, Eric. <laughs> yeah. I'm just telling you up front, but let's go. Yeah, no, I, I think our prep was over 15 minutes, so it'll be hard <laughs> to do an episode in 15 minutes. And it, it's a Gartner training where you learn to answer questions in 15-minute segments. So one question, <laughs> 15 minutes. <laughs> right. Okay, well, listeners, in the eight-hour uh, segment here, the eighth-hour segment, <laughs> enjoy this. Let's go, Erica. All right, let's, let's get, get to the point. Let's get to the point. So first, Richard, um, so you have um, um, written a, a couple of books. Most recently, um, you've written a book called Secure Cloud Transformation, A CIO's Journey. And so in this book, you um, took a look at 16 leading enterprise organizations, everyone from Fannie Mae to Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and really looked at how their, their, their journey, their transformation. Um, tell us first, how did you even, um, I would say, come up with the concepts and then get the access to be able to talk to these types of organizations and give us, I would say, just in a, a couple of sentences, not 15 minutes, but what were some of the major takeaways when you look at such a range of organizations in terms of their, their journeys across the cloud and across security and all of those other areas? Yeah, like like many people, I, I treated the cloud as, well, there's this new infrastructure for computing, reminds me of of the way things used to be with shared, you know, time services. Um, and then I, I start to understand what's happening in the cloud only when I start to see security vendors have solutions for problems introduced by the cloud. Um, so for five or six years, I was, you know, looking at the people that do configuration management or launch uh, cloud uh, web application firewalls or regular fire network firewalls in the cloud. And that was, you know, the sum of, I, I couldn't get a grand picture of where this was all going um, until I was introduced to uh, a few of the companies that were well down this journey. And as they talked, I realized they all had such a similar story that that would be a great story arc for a book. And that story is, is pretty straightforward. Enterprises are adapting cloud services through software as a service. And as they do so, they realize that, hey, you know, we're, we're outsourcing to software as a service for HR, uh, even finance in some cases, or ERP systems, certainly for CRM uh, with Salesforce.com. And all of our traffic coming from all of our users on the corporate network, uh, which is usually this hub and spoke network uh, that spans the globe, we're backhauling that traffic to you know several entry points and then sending it out to the internet, filtering it through 
a dozen security appliances and then bringing it all back and sending it out to the customer. So it leads to poor user experience. Um, and it's very expensive to do that because we're handling all that traffic. So the, that's the way we've always done it though. Why would we change? Right. Exactly. Well, he's done it that way, but there's one thing that we haven't accomplished, which is how do we provide the, you know, filtering and controls on people's web activity when they're on mobile devices. And even though I'm, I'm probably too old. I, I just don't use my phone for anything other than, you know, checking my calendar and playing and, and emailing and texting. But young people definitely use their phone for absolutely everything and evidently consume web apps on their phone. I don't know how they do that. Massive, massive consum- consumption. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's a trend that I don't experience, but I recognize. Um, so, so how in the world do you stop people in the office from browsing to inappropriate websites that obviously is a number one concern for enterprises and network control. And there is no way to do that without looking at something different. So, and that's where several vendors um, have, have looked at this concept of, Hey, you know what, we're going to create a cloud layer. Uh, Gartner's calling it a uh, SASE secure access something layer, right? And the, the idea is there's going to be a, basically a proxy, and you connect to that with SSL or GRE or some sort of tunneling. Um, takes very thin client, if, if any, to point a remote device to that cloud. Uh, we're going to apply access controls based on what we suck out of Active Directory. Um, and then give people direct access to, most importantly, Office 365 plus everything else. And that actually imp- improves the user experience and gives you centralized control over what they're allowed to do. So for once, we have a security model that actually is better all across the board. Doesn't And a sexy name at, at that. Yeah, sexy, sassy name. Sassy. <laughs> right. So just, just for our listeners, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, Secure Access Security Edge. There we go. Uh, service Edge, excuse service me. Edge. Secure yeah. Access service edge yeah. and it's it's becoming all the rage gardner thinks that over 40 percent of companies will look to adopt it within the next four years and for once i actually agree with gardner you know quite often yeah, you know, i'm a former gardner analyst and any industry analyst tends to automatically disagree with all other analysts um, but i think they've the they framed it properly they've recognized what's happening properly um, and it, no surprise, because I believe this is what is happening. Well, we're pushing the security out to the edge where it really needs to be. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's to me, it's uh, similar as what happened with content delivery, right? And it soon became evident that rather than the uh, uh, WAN optimization solutions that were out there that were compressing stuff, you actually had to push your content to that edge, the edge of the cloud. So Akamai is the best example, but Cloudflare is another one um, where they uh, basically proxy all your content close to the consumer. And fallout from that happened to be a defense against DDoS. Now, if you wanted to take out you know, somebody's website, you had to hit every one of those proxies and you didn't have- Which was impossible. Impossible, right? Because there's not enough bandwidth available to an attacker. 
Um, but uh, to use the same model, kind of reversed, um, in order to push the security access layer out to that edge, uh, and then process it and get somebody's traffic as quickly as possible, which you can do once you once you grab somebody's connection. I like to use Office 365 because you know it runs on. It's just horribly designed, and uh, you make the decision to switch up over from you know Exchange or hosted Exchange to Office 365, and you know because of all the great features, and besides Microsoft's forcing you to do so. Uh, and then all of a sudden everything just is slow and just horrible because you're using a web interface for a very critical always on application. Um, but once you you've grabbed somebody's access, then you can just funnel them to, to Microsoft's servers as quickly as possible and with the shortest path possible. And you do that through peering relationships, uh, direct access with Microsoft Express Route. Um, and, so now, once again, you got another example of better security, better control, granular access, plus better user experience. And those are always winners. Yet it's identity driven. So we still yes. know who you are right. and what you're trying to do. So we can determine, you know, not only the experience, but also the level of access and, and you know, rights. Exactly. I talked to, of all the 16, 17 people I interviewed, I would ask them, you know, what to avoid doing, what are some of the mistakes, and also what, you know, how should you start on this process. Every single one of them said, get identity right to begin with. Um, so that meant, you know, uh, consolidating your Active Directory globally. So you got a single tree um, and you know, get all that working first, and then it's an easy move. And that explains to me why some of the, the cloud identity providers are doing so well in a world, you know, they're, they're actually doing well when Microsoft already owns that space. So it's, I, I like that whole idea. Hey, hey, Richard, I know um, just out of curiosity, so you talked to a range of, of private um, organizations. Was there ever any desire to talk to any, or any attempt to talk to any government agencies? And, um, and just out of curiosity, do you think that they're, um, responses would have been any different in terms of their transformation journeys that they're going on as well? I, I, my perception is that they're behind all these these uh, private companies. So, you know, if you think of a, a Siemens, um, even a dairy company in the Netherlands called Friesland Campana, um, uh, an oil well supply company called National Oil Well Varco, they all were were forced on this path through either, you know, a need to reinvent themselves or in the case of National Oil Well Varco, a downturn in the price of oil and they had to save money. Whereas, you know, government agencies, as much as they like to, to complain about not having money, um, they do have infinite money and <laughs> never goes away, right? You know, once they get a $100 million budget, the next year they get a $102 million budget. It keeps going. So they don't have the same pressures of a private organization. They tend to listen to the naysayers who say, oh my gosh, you know, you can't put our data in the cloud because that's insecure, which is totally false, right? It's, you know, it's, 
it's always been it's as secure as you want to make it. The cloud actually makes it easier to make it secure. So the only thing the cloud does is it increases accessibility. So if you yeah. misconfigure, if you don't understand your data, you can increase risk yes, from that perspective. Absolutely. It's accessible and it's fast. Right. And therefore opens you up to you know, fast breaches of losing all well, exactly and lots of data. Yeah. And and your traditional network tools, especially with direct access, your traditional network tools aren't even going to detect the traffic in, right. in most cases. Right. You lose visibility unless you're using you can. these sassy edge uh, solutions. So all that said, uh, I'm saying government agencies are always behind the curve. Um, which is okay. Um so I expect, and I start, I'm starting to see it at the state and mostly education level where they're starting to adopt these models. Um, and it won't be long, especially with um, the Pentagon choosing uh, Azure for a cloud solution uh, before we start to see widespread agency adaption of, of SASE models. So for more information on this, you wrote an article for, I believe, Forbes. Gardner has a right Palo Alto Networks has it wrong, where if I can translate, what you're saying is Palo Alto Networks is representing old school, old school network security. And you're using them almost as a placeholder, if you will, for the old school network security thinking as we need to move to the cloud. Yeah. As over the last five years, I've talked to every firewall vendor about their cloud strategy. And it's always the same, right? And, and let me explain that. You know, I followed the firewall market since 1995 and, you know, went through various phases and it was always about a number of connections you can handle at once and throughput and latency. So there was, you know, initially software was delivered as a, you know, something you would buy and install on a Sun or a deck machine and eventually it became Windows only. Um, and then the next version was appliance base, you know, so NetScreen and Cisco PIX. Let's have custom built things that have a lot of ports and do network processing really, really well. And that turned into a battle for throughput. And, you know, Checkpoint, the, who had dominated the industry, kind of lost out on that because they didn't focus on appliances. And NetScreen, you know, was acquired by Juniper and um, along came uh, Fortinet and Palo Alto Networks. And they focused a lot, Fortinet especially, on building in hardware acceleration to appliances, which works great in the data center model. And then in all, a physical appliance model. Physical appliance model. But then all of a sudden you get the, the cloud and you can't move an appliance into Amazon's uh, data centers. So they all virtualize their software, which is easy. You know, let's just take an instance of our software and run it in a virtual instance of Linux and a VM and sell that, you know, and license it, right? So now in the past, they used to justify spending $100,000 on an appliance, and now they want something else, I don't know, probably $30,000 for a license for a firewall that runs on a little VM in Amazon. And that one, done scale, right? You, you need, during uh, peak times, you might need 100 of those and you can't scale up to that. Um, but uh, two, it, it's not an edge, right? It's a centralized point. You're gonna force people to VPN or somehow get to that virtualized appliance before they do something else. 
and it's just cumbersome. It's not built for the cloud. And that, so they're, they're all pushing that. They're all saying they're cloud adapted because they've got customers that need a cloud solution. Um, but they are missing the next big move. The big challenge is that in this space and in most technology spaces, an incumbent has never succeeded in, uh, you know, eating their own children is the term, I guess. Um, yeah. Inventing <laughs> something that displaces. Re- replacing themselves, right. dis- <laughs> displacing themselves. Right. Right, they're making too much money on the cash cow business. That's firewalls or or whatever it right. may be. Yeah, if you're if you're doing two hundred fifty million in business selling appliances, how can you? Inter- why would you risk that? Yeah, why would you introduce something that's going to make you a hundred million if all your customers switched over? That your your stockholders would not like you. And it, the best case of all is blue coat systems, right? So uh, blue coat was a dominant player in appliances for content URL filtering. And they started being challenged by the UTM vendors that had much cheaper appliances that did the same thing that they would push out to all the remote offices. Because there's no way you could take a blue coat appliance, which used to cost $50,000, and put it in a two-person office in Utah. so they lost out on that, and they were, they were losing customers and kind of staying static. They had about eight thousand customers when they went were taken private by private equity, um, and then of course after that we lose sight of of what they have, and they eventually ended up uh, acquired by Symantec, and the entire management team of that company kind of took over Symantec, and then a year ago Symantec had to report that they were losing out. Their, their revenue was missed their numbers because appliance sales were losing out to cloud services. And Bluecoat had tried. They, they invested $2 million in hiring away a guy from a company called Zscaler, um, who used to work for me at Fortinet. And they, uh, it, he spent you know over a year trying to build a sassy model for them, and they eventually gave up. And I could see that coming a mile away because – this was an entrepreneurial startup kind of venture and big public companies don't succeed at that. So let me ask you a question then. You have a new book coming out in February, Security Yearbook 2020, a history and directory of the IT security industry. Are there stories and views into the industry like this in that book? Absolutely. It's everything I know just put in one book. It, Just asking a question. Yep. Not, I, I get no royalties on that. Okay. And it covers, you know, because I'm, I'm primarily a network security guy, the chapter on networks on the history of the network security industry is probably the, the most uh, you know, rich, I guess. Um, but it, you know, I reached out to people in the access control business. Uh, I talked to uh, Barry Schrager, who is really the progenitor of uh, RACF and ACF2, so I could start the story for access controls. Um, yeah, so I learned a lot, of course, in writing the book, and I, I hope that you know students, people just getting into the industry, will be able to get up to speed really quickly. By re- it's, the written part is, of the book is pretty short. Um, the major segment of the book is I also publish a directory of all of the vendors in the space. 
Oh, interesting. So Richard, when you're not writing, what are you doing? Because you're writing articles, you're writing books. <laughs> you, are you always just sitting in a locked in a room writing? <laughs> yeah, I've got a little shed I built in the backyard. Where I just sit and watch the birds at the bird feeder. Um, but I, you know, I, I travel extensively to speak um, and consult with clients who are usually vendors. Um, so startups that, that are formulating their go-to-market mess- go messaging or estimating market size. I work with them. And then the speaking is usually in support of somebody's branding efforts or just sales outreach. But it gets me around the world. I've, I've presented in 31 countries now after my recent oh, wow. to Manila. <laughs> that's, nice. in, that's impressive. Well, thank you, Richard. This was- a, Erica, a, may I ask one? I want to transition to one more book review if I could. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> okay, <ahead>. Thank you. <laughs> Listeners, I'm sorry we're over 15. It's on me. And we're week. never under, so never. <laughs> real, real quick, Richard, you did a Sandworm book review, really short. I, I think Sand, Sandworm by Andy Greenberg, who you know I'd love to have on the podcast. Yeah, you should. Is he's fascinating and and what a read. Yep. The the piece that that really stood out to me was the first sentence. Andy Greenberg's Sandworm has achieved what I thought was no longer possible. It scares me. Yep. Now, for anybody who's not listening, the book's on you know the Russian GRU hacking team over the last uh, half decade or so. Not Petya. The ten billion dollars of damage in the Ukraine. Um, Andy's got a Wired article. If you can't find the cliff notes or you don't like to read or listen to audiobooks, what scared you about it though? I'm just, I'm so curious. Yeah. The fact, you know, so I, I tracked the, the hacking teams and APT this and APT that, and I see all the individual cases of what they're capable of doing, but Andy takes us back and he shows this, this lull in the GRU's importance inside the Russian uh, military to kind of their own reinvention when they decide to go full force with uh, developing hacking capabilities. And and then the rapid evolution of their capabilities, right, from defacing websites to actually taking out the power grid in the in Ukraine twice, and the second time in a much more sophisticated way than the first time. So I'd love to, I'd love to have you back before Erica yells at me again. (laughs) I think it'd be great to talk about this. This is, it it scares the hell out of me also. I mean, this is, this is really the first major confirmed that we can talk about network um, or or cyber nation state cybersecurity attack that, that really shows you how things, how bad things can be, but how much out of control they can become. Right. Yeah. And love to talk to you again, if you're willing. Absolutely. Anytime. Excellent. Well, thank you, Richard, for your time today. We know we will let you get back to your writing. All right. Very good. Thanks, Erica. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> and thank you to everyone for tuning in this week. Please continue to subscribe to the podcast, to share it, and to continue to listen to us. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 